Jesus would regularly interrupt his schedule or his daily plans to stop and to care for a single person. There could be a crowd of people surrounding him and Jesus would take time for the one. Welcome to the New Community Church Podcast. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the way Jesus lived, about his life, and we've been talking about how we can live more like him. This week, Pastor Aaron is walking us through how Jesus stopped for the one, and how we can do the same in our lives. Thanks for listening. Here's Pastor Aaron. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing great. This is our third week of doing service online like this, and I gotta tell you, I miss seeing your faces. It is a little different preaching into a camera, but I hope you're doing great. And if this is your first time, maybe you Googled, can I go to church online, and you got here, or someone invited you, or you came across our Facebook feed. We are so excited that you're with us. My name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church in Mesquite, Texas. And thank you for joining us. We're in this series of conversations called Jesus, the life of Christ on earth. And we've taken the past few weeks and not look just at the teachings of Jesus or the message of Jesus, but we've been looking at the life of Christ. How did he prioritize his time? What were his interactions like? How did he live his life? Because we've said, if we want to experience the life that Christ had, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so if we wanna experience his life, we have to pattern our life after his lifestyle. What did he do? How did he spend his time in his days? And so today we're gonna to continue with this topic of Jesus, the life of Christ on earth. And we're gonna look at this idea right here. Jesus stopped for the one. Jesus stopped for the one. Now that may seem a little bit odd, but as we walk through this story that we're gonna look at today, I think you're gonna see exactly how Jesus lived his life the intentionality that he had with people. So many of us, we spend our time um, trying to get others' attention, popularity, fame, likes on Facebook, how many friends do I have, um, how many follows or retweets do I get, and yet Jesus pursued this life of many times stepping away from the crowd and having these intentional conversations with just one person. He stopped everything for the one. Earlier this week, um, I was going out on a walk. You may not know this, but we have a large family. And so this many people in a tiny space for a number of weeks, it can become a recipe for disaster. And so I've been trying to get out every single day with the kids, go on walks, try to get a little bit of energy out. Um, And so we walk a mile, we go out about half a mile and then half a mile back and that's our mile walk. And this week, um, as we were out walking, we got to a particular intersection in our subdivision. And as we were approaching the intersection, I saw two teachers from one of our kids' school. They were coming towards us. There was a runner coming from a different direction. And as we got to the intersection, all of us kind of stopped. And we're looking around, and I'm like, which way are you guys going? Because of social distancing, right? We got to keep our distance six feet away. And And I thought, we all can't be headed the same direction. That's going to be weird. How are we going to stagger our walk? And and so the teachers are like, we're headed straight. So they kind of passed us. The runner went the opposite direction. We turned down and went to our house. But I thought, that's so ironic. I've been walking every day this year. And other than kind of saying hi, I've never really stopped and had an interaction with someone else. But it's weird that it takes kind of this disease for us to pause and find out, wait, which direction are you headed in? And how are you doing today? 
And yet this is how Jesus lived his entire life, that he was willing at a moment's notice to hit the pause button, to stop, to have an interaction with one other person and find out what was going on in their life. What were they feeling? What was happening below the surface? And so I want us to look at a story that we find in the gospels that illustrates this principle that Jesus lived throughout his life, where Jesus stopped for the one. And so if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to John chapter four, and we're gonna start reading at verse 16. And if you don't have a Bible there with you, if you're looking on the live stream, there's a tab that says Bible, you can type in John four. Just open up another tab on your browser, Google search John four, you'll get there with us. Now, John's gospel is a little bit different where all the other writers talk about the birth of Jesus and the kings and the leaders at that time. John begins with this poetic language, the light piercing the darkness. God, who was at the beginning, kind of this abstract view and this artistic view of who God was and his work in creating the world and how Jesus has always been there with God. And so that's how John starts. And then as we begin to walk through, John kind of takes us immediately to Jesus' adult years. And so at this point, Jesus is ministering, he's teaching, he's healing the sick, um, and he's preaching the kingdom of God. And so one time when he's traveling through the nation of Israel, he comes across this certain region called Samaria. Now there's a few cultural things we need to know in Samaria. Um, the people there were kind of segregated from the Jewish people. And there was a lot of racial tension. And so Jews really didn't associate with Samaritans. Also during that time, culturally, it wasn't natural for men to engage in a conversation with a woman. Possibly if she was there with family or her husband, you would talk to a woman. But other than that, there was kind of a, a gender divide that happened during that culture and during that time. And yet in this particular story, there's a woman who is walking to the well in the middle of the day. This probably told us something a little bit about her lifestyle. She didn't go in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening. She went when no one else would be at the well. And as we look at this story, we discover it's because there was a lot of brokenness in her life. She was probably socially distant, not because of a virus, but because it's just how her life was. People had kind of rejected her and possibly pushed her to the outside. And so she finds herself at a well with Jesus sitting on the well. And Jesus stops in this moment. He begins to engage her in this conversation. He uses what she needs, water, to talk about a deeper need inside of her spirit and her soul. And we start to see this pattern in the life of Jesus that he stops for the one. And in those moments, in that intentional interaction, Jesus brings truth into the situation. As he begins to talk to her about living water, water that satisfies, not a physical need, but a spiritual type of water that satisf satisfies our soul and gives us abundant life, this woman is intrigued and Jesus brings this truth up in her life. And this is what he says in John chapter four, verse 16 and 17. He says this, go ahead and call your husband and have him come here. And the woman answered, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And immediately she shifts the conversation to worship. It's kind of ironic as you read this, that in the midst of this interaction, Jesus brings truth to the surface of the conversation. 
He doesn't immediately kind of dive into, well, it looks like we're having a nice day outside or what's your favorite sports team or, or do you have a family or any of that? He begins to talk to her about the brokenness that is there in her life. Why? Because the truth that Jesus brings is always there to invite people into a relationship with God. And he needed her to see the brokenness in her life and her desperate need for this living water that Jesus was offering, this relationship with God, an understanding of what it truly means to live our life in worship. And Jesus does that by introducing truth. Now, we probably think, well, we live in a culture that really values truth. And I would probably say maybe it's not as precise as that. I think we're a culture that values opinions. Like we feel the right to tell anyone what we're thinking or what we're feeling at a moment's notice. You can go on Facebook and you can post something and all of a sudden below there's political comments. There's comments about racial tension. There's comments about social injustice. And you're like, I was just asking if you guys like chocolate cake. Like what happened? How did you even get here? And it's not because we value truth. It's because we want to give people our opinion. We want to tell them what we're thinking or what we're feeling at a moment's notice, even if they've not asked. And Jesus wasn't just giving this woman his opinion. He was speaking truth into her life and into her heart for what she was going through and what she was experiencing at that moment. And so he begins to talk to her about a brokenness in her life and a brokenness in her heart that she was experiencing to bring it back to a relationship with God. Jesus was all about truth. He was bringing truth into the situation that she was facing. Now, the beauty of this, as we read through the gospels over and over again, is the truth of Jesus isn't to condemn. A matter of fact, Jesus said that I've not come to condemn the world, but I've come to bring the love of God and the grace of God into the world. Uh, there was another moment in the Gospels in John chapter 8 in the same book, but a few chapters later, there's a different story of another woman that's brought and she's caught in the act of adultery. She was having sexual relations with someone outside of marriage. And so the religious leaders bring her in front of Jesus, throw her on the ground. They have large stones in their hand and they're ready to kill her. And they're like, Jesus, the law says that she should be stoned because she sinned. And Jesus says, okay. If you're perfect, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And slowly, one by one, they drop the stones and they begin to walk off. And Jesus says, where is everyone that was here? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, my Lord. And Jesus says, well, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. In that moment of grace, Jesus brings truth to reconcile her, to bring her back in a relationship with God. John says it beautifully. As I mentioned, John begins his book with this kind of poetic language. And he says this, he says in John chapter one, verse 17, he says, Moses came bringing the law and Jesus came bringing grace and truth. Jesus' ministry was all about this. He wasn't coming to bring judgment or condemnation to separate us from God, but he also in that moment spoke truth about our brokenness, about what we were going through, about what we were experiencing, about what we were feeling. The truth of Jesus was always present in his life. And so when he stopped for the one, that intentional conversation, it was there to bring people back to God to restore and to reconcile their relationship with God. Jesus was all about truth. In a world that values opinions so much, we need to be people in that same way that walk in the lifestyle that Jesus had, 
to extend grace, that we're not people to bring judgment, but also in that same moment, we're willing to go past the surface. We're willing to go deeper than just kind of a casual conversation. And we're willing to speak truth that will invite people back into a relationship with God. This is the kind of lifestyle that Jesus lived. This is how he lived out his days with these intentional conversations. He was willing to stop the crowd and he was willing to speak to the one to bring healing, to bring redemption, to bring restoration in their life. I've been reading this book um, with a friend of mine, Wayne Chandler. He recommended it to me. It's called Drawing the Circle. It's by a pastor and a writer named Mark Batterson who lives in the D.C. area in Washington, D.C. And he pulls out this quote um, that he had heard from the former Secretary General of the United Nations. And this man's name is Dog Hammarskjöld. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Dog Hammarskjöld. And he made this quote, the former Secretary General of the United Nations. He said, it is more noble to give yourself completely to one individual than to labor diligently for the salvation of the masses. Now, this is a guy who has influence with political leaders, with government officials, with kings and dictators and presidents and prime ministers. He's talking to people that have worldwide influence and massive influence in their nations and countries. And to them, he says, do you know what's more important? Not that you try to save everyone, but that you're so intentional with the one. What's the one conversation that you could have? Can you be present with the one person? Instead of constantly being distracted by social media, how many likes and did I get retweeted and did someone else um, share my post that I gave? He said, it's more intentional to be present with one person and minister in their life. He may have not known it, but he's talking about how Jesus lived his life how Jesus spent his time. We see it over and over in the gospel. Jesus stops the crowd in the procession and he raises a young man because his mother is there weeping. We see it over and over again. Jesus leaving Jericho. There's a great crowd around him and he stops because a blind man begins to call out his name. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want my sight to be restored. Jesus over and over again, he stopped everything to meet the need of the one. Jesus stopped, and as he met with one, he spoke truth that brought them and that restored them into a relationship with God. Now, when Jesus stopped, not only did he bring truth, but Jesus invited people into a God story. As you continue to see this conversation, Jesus talks to her about worship and about what God wants for her life, and she takes off running back to the village. If you still have that Bible passage open, John chapter 4, verse 39, this is what it says right here. And many Samaritans came from the town and they believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So she goes running back to the town and she's like, you gotta see this man. Is this God's salvation? Is this God's redemption? He's telling me the intimate details of my life. And so when the Samaritans came to him, this is in verse 40, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there three days and many more believed because of his words. Now, I'm thinking about this. This woman gets up and she's going about her day. There's the brokenness in her life. She's jumping from bed to bed, relationship to relationship, looking for love. And then she meets this man who tells her 
What you're looking for is not found in another relationship. It's not even found in physical intimacy, but it's found in a relationship with God. And she takes off running back to the town. And she's like, you gotta come meet this man. You gotta come see what he did. Her life is changed in an instant. And as her life is changed, as Jesus stops and he's, he's intentional, as he doesn't just let the conversation pass him by, he invites her into God's story. He invites her. He calls out and pulls out her purpose and her potential and what he sees inside of her. And she takes off running and she starts to bring other people to Jesus. You've got to meet this man. You've got to see what he said. You've got to understand this, what he's speaking over my life. It was so powerful. God invites her into a God story. Jesus does this over and over again. 30 minutes earlier, her life is in shambles. Now she's running, bringing other people to God. There's a story in another part of the Gospels about someone that's known as the demoniac. And it's like it sounds. He's possessed by evil spirits. This guy's naked running around a cemetery. They keep trying to tie him up. He breaks the chains and the ropes like he's just a mad man. And Jesus stops once again and has an interaction with the one. And as Jesus pauses and as he talks to this man, he delivers him from the evil spirits. And as a crowd of people come by, they see this guy clothed once again. He was naked running around. Now he's got clothes on. He's sitting there having a conversation. He's in his right mind. And this is what happens. He says, Jesus, can I come follow you? And Jesus says, wait, I'm gonna send you on a mission. Go to the Decapolis. That was 10 cities right there in that region. And begin to go from city to city and tell them the good works that God has done in your life. See, just a few minutes earlier, he's going crazy, right? Like evil spirits are possessing him. And then God, he encounters Jesus. And in a moment, God changes everything. God calls out his potential. God calls out his purpose. God speaks to him and invites him into the mission that God has, the story that God has for his life. And all of a sudden, his destiny and his purpose is changed in that instance. You guys, one of the most powerful things that we can do is calling out God's purpose. The power of stopping and being intentional with one purpose is that we could speak to them and invite them into the story that God has for their life. That's why Jesus was so passionate about stopping for the one. With Zacchaeus, this tax collector that's up in a tree and Jesus calls him down to restore him to the community around him. And Zacchaeus's life is changed and he says, now I'm gonna be generous. I was greedy. I was taking all of this wealth and now I'm gonna begin to give it to the poor and pay back anyone that I've wronged. Every encounter with Jesus was calling people into God's story, inviting them into what God was doing of redemption, of salvation, of a brand new start of a new beginning in their life. And we can forget this and we can begin to chase fame. We can begin to chase popularity. We can begin to chase um, notoriety from the crowds and, and we want other people to pay attention to us. And yet one of the most powerful things that we can do is not going viral on the internet, but it's stopping and it's being present with one person. And the most important thing we can do is to interact with their life, just like Jesus did, and to call out the God story inside of them. Recently, we were watching a family movie, and I'm gonna be honest, I'm not big about like feel-good kind of sports movies. Um, I just think they've been done so much, but this one movie, it looked kind of funny. It was about a wrestling family, and there, um, there's a younger brother and sister, and you kind of see them growing up, and instead of their parents breaking them up when they fight, 
Their parents are showing them different wrestling moves and different holds and telling, okay, take him down now. It's kind of hilarious and kind of comical to see it because it's a different family dynamic. And their family owns this small wrestling gym. I think it's somewhere in England and they go around um, the town and they'll pick up kids that are in trouble or at risk or um, that have different needs and they'll bring them to the wrestling gym and kind of mentor them, pour into them and um, help them to learn how to wrestle. It's just a fun activity that they have. Well, the brother and sister, they have an opportunity um, as young adults to go professional, like to actually make it big and, and something happens and the sister gets to go to the training and the brother doesn't. And after a few weeks, they're having this conversation. The brother's all frustrated and he's talking to his sister and he's like, it's not fair. You, you have this chance to be known by everyone, to be on TV, to really make it big. And I'm still stuck here in our small town. And what I'm doing is so unimportant. No one notices me. No one's even paying attention to me. It's just not fair. And his sister says these words to, to him. Just because you don't have millions of people cheering you on, it doesn't mean what you're doing isn't important. And I told my kids, hey, just pause the movie right there. Like, like I got to write that one down because that line just stuck with me. Just because you don't have millions of people cheering you on, it doesn't mean what you're doing isn't important. Just because there's not a camera in front of your face when you're talking to the coworker, just because someone's not Instagramming that prayer that you're praying over a family member or over a friend, it doesn't mean what you're doing isn't important. Some of the most important work is never seen by anyone else. It never makes it online. It's never noted by anyone else, but it's those moments where we stop where we're intentional with the one that God has given us, with the person that's right there in front of us and we're speaking life and we're speaking love into them and we're pouring out our heart and we're inviting them into the God story. This is how Jesus lived his life. He stopped for the one. He stopped for that one person. He was concerned about what was going on below the surface and he spoke truth. He stopped for that one person. He invited them into the God story, into what God was doing, into how God was moving and calling out God's purpose and potential in their life. Now, maybe you're here and you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, good. A sermon I don't have to do anything with because there's social distancing and I'm not around a lot of people. So there's no way I can really stop for the one this week, right? But that's not true because you're probably gonna interact with someone. Maybe it is on social media. Maybe it's on a conference call with some people at your work. It's over a video conferencing system that you may get on this week. It may be with a family member or a friend that you're texting. And I wanna challenge you, live the lifestyle that Jesus lived. Don't be in such a rush to get to the next assignment, to get the next project done, to get to whatever you have next that you miss the opportunity right in front of you. Jesus could have falsely assumed, well, it's just another woman coming to draw water, but God had something else in mind. And Jesus realized this is a God-ordained moment. And what if that video call is a God-ordained moment? What if that text feed is a God-ordained moment? moment? What if that interaction at the grocery store is a God-ordained moment? What if God wants you to speak truth with grace in that moment? What if God wants you to invite someone into his story and call out their potential and their purpose? You have no idea what God could use your words to do to change someone's destiny and to change their future. Just because there's not millions of people cheering you on, it doesn't mean what you're doing is not important. And this is the lifestyle that Jesus is calling us 
into. It's what he's speaking over us. And this morning together, we want to do something in response to what Jesus has done. We wanna stop and we wanna remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so we're gonna do something that Christians have done for thousands of years. Now, typically we would do this possibly together if you were in service with us, we would do this live, but we're gonna do this virtually here this morning. Now, some of you may have gone a little bit earlier and stopped by the church and picked up some communion elements. Some of you are just watching this now, and so you're like, I don't even know what's about to happen, tell me. So we're gonna do something that believers have done that's called communion. You may have heard it referred to as the Lord's Supper. You may have no idea what this is, and that's okay. The Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, this is what he did. He took some bread. I've got a little piece of bread here. He took a cup. I have a little medicine cup. I don't know what this is for, some kind of cough medicine. And so bread, and he took juice, or in his instance, he took some wine, and he gave this to the disciples. And he began to talk to them about his death and his resurrection, the sacrifice that he was gonna make. And Jesus said, hey, every time you get together and you eat bread and you're doing this like in this fashion, kind of this, this remembrance, this ceremony, this is what he said, you're proclaiming my death. You're remembering the stripes on my back. You're remembering how I was beaten. You're remembering how I was nailed to the cross. You're remembering and declaring that my body was broken for you. Every time you take this cup, whenever you're together like this and you drink this cup, you're remembering my blood that was shed. And so this is symbolic of the blood of Christ. And so maybe you're there in your house and you can step away to the kitchen for a second and um, get a little cracker, get a little piece of bread, maybe get some juice that you have there. But we're gonna take a moment and we're going to remember. Now here at New Community Church, we say this often, you don't have to be a member, you don't have to have gone through some class. The Bible's very clear, it tells us to just examine our heart. It does caution us that if we're not in right relationship with God, if we've not accepted the gift of God's forgiveness, that we don't take these elements because we don't fully understand what it means that his body was broken or that his blood was shed. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you've accepted the gift of God's forgiveness, you recognize that Jesus is the son of God and that we can't fix ourselves, but that Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. And that's what the cross, and that's what the empty tomb, the resurrection, that's what it symbolizes. Well, then all believers are invited and they're challenged to take this and to remember what Christ has done. And so even right now, you, someone may have stepped away. That's totally fine. You may need to kind of run out of the room, maybe away from the kitchen table or away from the living room and grab these. I'm gonna read this verse that we see in scripture. And this is someone that's known as Paul. Um, his name was changed after he came to Christ, but um, he wrote much of the New Testament, Paul did. And he's writing to a church in Corinth and he's talking to them about this right here, about what we're about to do. And this is what he says. In Corinthians 1.23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're remembering this morning. 
that the body of Christ that was broken and the blood of Jesus that was shed, it covers our lives and it was for our redemption and our salvation. And so we believe this, that even while sickness is running rampant, that God has promised healing over our body, that his broad body was broken for us for our healing. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that's what we're gonna remember this morning. And so I'm gonna ask you to take that bread if you have it and that cup in your hand if you have it, and we're just gonna give thanks. And I'm gonna lead out, but I want you in your own words just to say thank you. There's nothing special you have to say or no secret formula you have to go over. We just wanna thank God for the sacrifice that he made. We know it was in our place. So let's pray together and then we're gonna eat and drink this together. God, we come before you, Lord. And God, we say thank you for your cross, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. God, thank you for the sacrifice that you made, Lord. This morning, in this moment, God, as your church is connecting together, God, online and, and digitally here, Lord, God, we remember together your sacrifice, God. And Jesus, we will never be able to say thank you enough. If we used every breath and every word and every second, God, we could never say thank you enough, Lord, for your body that was broken, Lord. Every time we do this, we remember your death, Jesus. We remember your promise of new life, God, that this world is not all that there is, God. But even beyond this, Lord, you've promised us, God, redemption and salvation and resurrection, Lord. And we believe that and we claim that this morning, God, this morning morning, God, we say thank you for your blood that was shed, God. Thank you for your body that was broken, Lord. Thank you for what you did, God, to bring us salvation. Lord, we realize we can't fix ourselves, God. We can't make it right on our own. And Lord, you came and paid the price for us. So Lord, this is your redemption, God. We're remembering it, Lord. It's symbolic of your blood that was shed that covers us, God, and that meets our need of forgiveness, Lord. And so we say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Don't ever let us take for granted the power of your body and your blood and what you did for us, Lord. We, as your children, God, we receive that this morning, God. We honor you. We remember you. We proclaim your death and resurrection, God, that you brought new life to us, God. And so we say thank you for that. Church, let's eat and let's drink this together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your resurrection. Just in your own words, just take a quick moment. Just say thank you. Thank you, God. We receive that, God. We believe, Lord, in faith, God, in new life, Lord, in your salvation, in your redemption, God. You weren't just concerned about the entire world. You wanted a relationship with us that was personal, God, with us as individuals, Lord. And this morning, we're remembering the sacrifice that you made. Thank you, God, for stopping for me, Lord, for calling me out of my sin, God, and inviting me into your redemption and your salvation, God. Thank you for everyone that's listening to this, God. You're inviting them, God. You're calling us, Lord. You want that relationship with us. We say thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Who can you stop for it this week? Who can you take some intentional time to reach out to, speak truth into their life, help call out their potential? Take a moment and write down a name or two that comes to mind. 
Here at NCC, we are all about making people and places new, and we want to know how we can help you grow in your faith. So connect with us online at newcommunity.co. We would love to hear from you.